Good morning, everybody. Hi, everybody. It's Kim Winter here, uh, CEO of Logistics Executive Group. Thanks for joining us again for our Executive Insights Series. Um, glad to uh, be talking this morning to Mark McGinley, the CEO of Curious Please. And Mark, I think you're in Sydney today. I am sunny Sydney. Uh, it's good afternoon from uh, Sydney, Kim. <laughs> uh, working from home, uh, as many of us are doing at the moment. Good on you, Mark. Thanks, thanks for joining us. And uh, just a quick reminder to all of our uh, audience, um, for those of you who follow us and those first time, um, by all means, have a look at Logistics Executive TV on YouTube. Um, please join us and, and see any of the other insights that we've got going on there. So, Mark, we're going to be talking all things last mile. Uh, Curious Please is a major player in the APAC region uh, for last mile parcel e-commerce we're going to be talking about today and uh, look at a few of the insights that uh, it's a fairly dynamic market in Australia. There's massive percentiles of, of growth across e-commerce and parcel and, and uh, last mile delivery in particular and with all sorts of challenges and success stories. So really interested to have a chat with you. Thanks again for taking the time to join us and maybe a bit of a heads up uh, on your journey in the supply chain logistics space over your last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, like a, um, quite an unusual entrance into the logistics business. Um, I, by you may note by the accent, I was born and raised in Belfast in Ireland. Um, so yeah, my history in Ireland was always small business. So I ran, uh, I had a vending business, I had a small chain of restaurants, um, wholesale drinks business and the alcohol space. Um, so the, I was always from a small business background and then decided, fell in love with, with Sydney um, in uh, the Sydney Olympics of 2000. So he is about roughly 40 years of age, decided to pack up family and three kids and, and immigrate to um, Sydney um, with the intention of actually starting up my own business. But as I got to Australia, I realized that wasn't as easy as I thought it might be. <laughs> um, it was an import-export business. I couldn't believe the amount of duties, uh, fees, quarantine fees, port fees. Um, so a friend of mine, met next door neighbor, happened to be the CEO of Couriers Place. And he said to me, look, if you're looking for a job, you can apply for one by the CP. There's an operations job in New South Wales. So yeah, I took that job. Um, and 16 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> um, I started off in operations and then to, um, within a couple of years, I was a national sales manager. Um, and then in 2014, was a commercial, or sorry, 2011, became commercial manager of CP. And then in 2014, uh, I've been the CEO of uh, Couriers Place. So yeah, an unusual um, journey into logistics, but obviously, you know, seen massive changes in my space in that time and you know you see you know yourself Kim that e-commerce is unrecognizable from logistics 10-15 years ago I mean it changes on a daily basis you, know, you really have to uh, you have to run to keep up in this business as you well know yourself yeah so you guys are owned by Singapore Post is that right yeah we were we were originally owned by a New Zealand Post and New Zealand Post sold us in um, 2014 to Singapore Post. So yeah, we're 100% owned by Singapore Post. 
Okay. And you operate, uh, you're quite unique in the Australian market, I think. There may be one or two other players, but you're a franchise operation, is that correct? In terms of your... Yeah, there's there's two, very unusual. Yeah, there is two um, franchise logistics business in Australia, the other one being RMX, um, which was used to be Fastway. We just recently rebranded. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's a 30 where, you know, we were formed in 1983. Um, it's a very unusual model, but we think it's a very effective model. Um, so our franchisees, and we've got 800 of them, we're one of the largest franchises in Australia, um, they get rewarded by their activity. So they're not on hourly rate, they're not on weekly rate. The more, the harder that our franchisees work, the more money they earn. They own their own territory, it's territory based. They can build up relationships with their customers. Uh, you know, it's the same face every day. They are the face of our business. And, and in all our surveys, the number one reason people deal with Cruise Please is because of our franchisees. They're small businessmen looking after small businesses. So it's okay. a great model. So what's, uh, what's been the story with you guys since uh, the beginning of this year? What sort of growth have you experienced? What have been the major impacts on your business with the pandemic? Uh, What's yeah, yeah. Look, first of all, Kim, you know, we're extremely grateful that we are in a, an essential service industry when others are doing it so tough. Uh, so we recognise that, we appreciate it, we don't take it for granted. Um, but yeah, look, we we have seen eighty percent and plus growth uh, over the last few months. Um, it's eight zero. It's zero, yeah. I mean, oh. and, and in some other areas, it's it's one hundred and twenty percent in places like Newcastle yep. and Perth, um, and that's really just from our existing customer base. Kim, it doesn't really include the new customers uh, that we have been bringing on board. Um, it's taken us probably three years ahead of where we thought we were going to be in in volume, um, and then obviously the challenges associated with first of all, COVID itself. So, you know, we've had to introduce, you know, lots of social distancing protocols within our facilities. You know, it's compulsory to wear masks in our facilities with social distancing. Our staff are where they can have to work from home. We have reconfigured all our facilities to be COVID compliant around social distancing and spacing out, et cetera. We've got you know, different shifts coming in at different times to mitigate the number of people working in the facilities. Uh, we've invested in technology so as people can work from home, we do regular audits to make sure that, you know, it's a safe working environment at home, they've got the necessary tools, and we check in on them regularly. Um, so that, you know, from a COVID, and then you've probably seen in the news, Victoria had a, a second wave, so part of, government restrictions there was we we had to reduce our workforce in victoria so we actually had you know we actually would have needed literally say 40 percent more people but because of the government restrictions we had to use actually less people to process the freight that's not unique to us it's across so the what's so what's happened in terms of your service standards if the business has been booming and, and doubling in size virtually and then you had to have 30 to 60 percent less staff on the ground. I mean, those two things just don't sound right. So, what's been the impact? Yeah, look, we've put on. I'll, I'll run through some of the things we've had to do to to maintain our service levels. So, the first thing we did 
uh, and the whole Australian industry did, Kim, was uh, they added at least one day onto their current SLAs. So that's that's what we did, and we're meeting those those SLAs on uh, fantastic levels. I mean, we were our social media uh, reviews and our um, our internal surveys have improved through COVID. Our actual performance has improved through COVID. Um, but as we've also had to invest, obviously. So uh, we've got 300 more franchisees than we had pre-COVID. We're, we're using multiple crowdsourcing and, and part delivery partners to help scale with the volume. We've moved into five new facilities over the last few months. We've invested in more scanner equipment, more cages, um, more better software. So we we were on a journey anyway, can we like we are an e-commerce specialist. That's that was Couriers Please core business. We never focused on on B2B. We didn't focus on you know pallet work, dangerous goods. We we were on a, a journey anyway of being a B2C specialist. So this wave of uh, this the, the spike has just accelerated what we were doing anyway. And so we didn't have to adjust our strategy or anything. We just had to accelerate the number of resources we needed. Um, and obviously with other industries suffering, we were able to you know, employ people from lots of other industries. So we've, we've employed you know, an extra 100 staff, whether it's sortation, supervisors, delivery people, sales, account managers, and that's been great. I mean, we've got Qantas pilots sorting freight for us, uh, for example. I mean, it's just amazing what's happening. Uh, uh, it's obviously global. Um, you, but as I say, we're very proud of how we've reacted to it and, you know, uh, very appreciative that we're able to do it. So, Mark, if we pan out a little bit and we talk about the global last mile industry, uh, traditionally, um, certainly up until this year, it's been that the stories of carnage around last mile and companies struggling to... Uh, to, to make it a profitable part of the supply chain are quite, uh, quite moribund. Um, from, from your perspective, you've talked about different aspects of getting deliveries made. Uh, you, you talked about crowdfunding um, and crowdsourcing. What, what, talk to us a little bit about that as part of your modeling for getting, getting deliveries through to customers. The crowdsource is really crucial, Kim, for us around scale. So when we've seen these spikes, you know, your current fleet just can't cope with that capacity. You need to have a, a really agile, scalable model until then you bet in a new norm and then you can put it through your... So, for example, let's say we, we recruited 300 new franchisees, but while we were doing that, we were using crowdsourcing to, you know, do backlogs and, and et cetera. You know, do twilight deliveries, weekend deliveries. So we're now a seven-day operation. And we don't, we don't want to stress out our existing teams and our existing franchisees. So to do that, we have to use a scalable alternative. Um, now there's, and we also make sure that our partners in that space are paying their people fairly. So we monitor that. We make sure they're well-trained, well-presented, and are being paid the fair day's work for fair day's wage. So to answer your sort of more global uh, question around last mile logistics. I told you I was a small business man before. I'm not sure I would start up a business being a last mile carrier <laughs> anywhere. Um, you know, as well as I do, consumers want 
choice. They want uh, visibility. They want to be kept informed of where their uh, parcel is. They want to be able to change uh, in real time where they want the delivery. One thing they don't want to do for it is pay for it. So <laughs> there's a lot of downward pressure from the retailers responding to the consumers' demands. And that's fine. Um, but no one has really decided to pass those costs on to the consumer yet. Everyone's just trying to absorb it. So there's a lot of pressure on, on last mile carriers, Kim. And we're looking at lots of different um, consolidation solutions. Mm -hmm. The only way you can make money in last mile logistics is if you can get some scale. So pickups are easy. You can pick up in bulk. You can get dropship into your facilities, you can sort the freight, et cetera. But doing a single delivery to a residential address, somebody has to get paid to do it. You know, it's, it's, it's a fundamental. So the only way around that is to, and we've invested in, a, in our Poodle partner, Hubbed, um, where we can start to use these other locations, pick up and delivery locations, lockers, where you can get a consolidated drop-off convenient right. to the consumer. And I think the industry is going to have to start looking at more sustainable solutions. It's not, I don't think it's feasible, Ken, to have 20 white vans driving down a high street, 20 different carriers delivering parts. It's just, it's crazy. It's madness. Um, and some smart cities like London and some of the European cities have already addressed that around, you know, taxation, you know, emission targets, et cetera. And it hasn't really happened yet in Australia. We're just, full steam ahead trying to deliver parcels in, in clogged up cities. It, it doesn't make any sense moving forward. Um, so we're, we're investing in a, a series of micro hubs where we can get a more consolidated delivery to, an, uh, to enable it to be a more local delivery. Yeah. Um, or the consumer comes and picks it up. So reduce the number of um, journeys in a particular city and also we're not there yet, so I'll be honest about that, but we do have a strategy. Well, we've started a carbon emission strategy, so we're already 25% carbon emission, but you know, we are looking at electric vehicles and mm -hmm. uh, you know, electric options as well uh, in, in the next 12 months. And by the way, the growth we're experiencing leads to better profits that, that we can then reinvest in things like that, which is what, which is what our strategy is. Cool. So, so we're seeing a massive move globally to omni-channel, and I suppose what I'm hearing you talk about is that, that you're part of the model in the, the last part of the supply chain, downstream supply chain. The last mile is also adopting an omni-channel type of approach and, and multiple delivery. We've heard a lot about, um, in recent times, in the last week or so, uh, I was reading something on LinkedIn about Amazon taking on the high street and Walmart in particular, getting much closer to the customer. It's what you're talking about with your, your yeah. micro uh, delivery centers. Um, what percentage roughly, without getting too commercial on this, what, what percentage of customers uh, do you see picking up currently under the current environment, um, going to a collection center to pick up and where do you think that will be? What percentage do you think it will be in 12 months time? Uh, look, in Australia, we, we lag behind Kim, some of the other markets like, you know, Germany and Poland, for example, where there's a, there's a, bit, there's a huge um, adoption of lockers. Um, our, our strategy is a combination of lockers and cross-counter 
collection points. Mm. And what, what, it's a small enough percentage now, Kim, I would say, you know, it's between five and 10. Mm. But it's going to get huge, in my opinion, because of the volumes of freight that carriers are currently experiencing um, and the lack of profitability in the last mile. So I think you will see, again, it'll come down to consumer choice, Kim. You, we want to get to this stage where if you want a home delivery, it's sorry, your standard delivery is a drop-off. And if you want a courier delivery, it should be at a cost, so an extra dollar, for example. And then the consumer can start to make choices. Uh, and it's the same thing with speed. You know, do you want to, do you need a same day delivery? Is it next day? Or I, I think one of the things about speed of delivery is it's becoming more prevalent that people need things quicker. But I think the reason that is, is because it's one of the few ways of certainty of a delivery. So, you know, if you pay for a premium, you'll get a dedicated van dropping off the freight at, at your location and you can pay for that. But we're working towards things like time slot deliveries. I know you've seen this in other markets where, you know, you, you can get your delivery next Tuesday between one and five. And then that allows us to consolidate deliveries and have better route optimization planning that we can deliver those deliveries in a more sustainable manner rather than every time somebody wants something, we send a van back and forth, back and forth. So uh, it's, all, it's, and it's all technology based, Kim. So it's not only the infrastructure of, having those, those lockers and poodle points, um, you also need the technology to manage your freight and optimize your fleet, which we've invested in this year as well. So just on that, Mark, what sort of technology have you adopted that is helping? Because one of the biggest issues is uh, that point where customer and supplier uh, last mile interface. This, of course, has been one of the biggest challenges in last mile for, since last mile started, you know, 50 years ago. Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's having that problem of not finding the customer, having the reverse logistics, um, and then the additional cost, which is automatically throwing things into a loss for the last mile provider um, and further yeah. up the chain, perhaps, to the customer. Or the supplier. Yeah, look, every, every failed first-time delivery, can we, we lose money on that parcel. Yeah. Um, it leads to either a re-delivery at our cost or at least a phone call. And the minute somebody rings us, we, we lose money. Uh, and it's a poor uh, customer experience. So all, all our investments have been in the technology to get a first-time delivery. And that's putting, it's interactive delivery management, putting the consumer in charge of delivery. So your parcel's on board for delivery, they get a notification, and then they can either, we give them five options of, you know, are you going to be in? Yes, no. Uh, do you want an alternative delivery address? Do you want to leave it a locker? Do you want to leave it a neighbor? Um, and pre-COVID, do you want to leave it with no signature? Uh, obviously, during COVID, most carriers, if not all, have moved to a contactless delivery. So that's, but that technology is designed to put the customer in charge of the delivery. Uh, and then, uh, and you can expose that sort of tracking Uber style Domino's Pizza style, Kim, where the consumer can see the parcel on its way and get comfort that they can manage their time around that. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the technology we have developed, it's a, it's a proprietary in-house technology we call CPGO. It also does route optimization um, and fleet optimization. So it gives our franchisees um, 
the safest and, and quickest way and most efficient way of doing their, their deliveries um, whilst managing the, the customer expectations. So we just rolled that out this year and it's been uh, fantastic. And it also reduces our carbon footprint when we were picking, it's, it's real-time technology allowing um, for traffic and road right. closures, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. So Mark, just uh, before we wrap up, just a bit of a heads up from you on a couple of points. Um, what do you see as the, as the major trends impacting or influencing the last mile space in Australia and globally over the next 12 months? What, I mean, you're a pretty well-read guy. You're right in the middle of the operation there. Um, you're experiencing the, the full impact and also uh, influencing yourselves on how things are happening in that particular area. Uh, of last mile, what do you what do you see as the big factors moving forward? What are the big impacts on the sector? Yeah, look, I definitely see a trend came away from cheap and cheerful deliveries, and what I mean by that is, um, look, there's certain products that you know if you're ordering a ten dollar t shirt from overseas, you know there's a limit to how much you can pay for freight. But I'm seeing a massive trend away from uh, the the retailers in particular. Have become more um, that delivery experience has become more and more important to their brand because if Curly's Place, for example, stuff up your delivery, that that reflects purely on the retailer. So we're seeing retailers looking for more options for their consumers, um, looking for different carrier options, different service levels. Um, so the given their customers' choice, whether it's a click and collect, uh, home delivery, retail delivery, giving their customers options. Also seeing a huge trend towards sustainable deliveries. So younger generation, millennials, Gen Z, far more aware of the delivery experience when it comes to sustainability. Um, seeing a huge trend towards what we mentioned earlier, those proximity deliveries. Um, the the, the, the big Goliaths like, uh, you know, Amazon and, and Walmart, uh, well, sorry, Amazon and the Pure Play players, um, they've got, they're shipping from huge warehouses. Whereas if I'm a bricks and mortar retailer, you'll find them using their stores more as fulfillment centers. You're seeing a trend there of getting uh, either dark stores on the high street or shipping from store. Um, the biggest trend I've seen since covid is the acceleration and the digitalization of these legacy companies, these legacy retailers, where online was maybe 10% of their retail business. It's now up to 50%. And you can just see the agility change and you can see um, the speed at which these companies are working is way beyond what they were doing before. Um, and that's great to see. Okay. So you're talking transformation and uh, development of, of new areas of doing, the ways of doing business. Our corporate advisory teams in Australia and, and APAC and, and Middle East are seeing a real spike in business at the moment of, of clients right across the supply chain reaching out for assistance about transformation of their business. I think whether companies are expanding and exploding as a result of the upside of COVID or companies who are really challenged by a lot of the, uh, the issues facing them uh, on the downside of COVID uh, and needing to transform. 
what do you see as the uh, big transformation points around uh, the last mile in e-commerce? If you were to look at it from a, uh, a wider perspective, what do you see as the big transformation issues moving forward for companies over the next year or two? Well, as I said, Kim, it's a digitalization of their business mm. and that, that, that user experience and reassessing their assets, how best to use them. I mean, in Australia, obviously retail sales of, you know, um, through bricks and mortar have really been massively impacted. Uh, we're seeing trends. I mean, during COVID, we've seen huge spikes in alcohol retail, uh, online sales, food online, like um, gym equipment, office equipment. Uh, people's habits have changed, Kim, definitely. And I think that's, uh, I think Australia Post produced numbers the other day that did 400,000 new customers who were buying online who'd never done it before. We may not see this continued growth, but we're not going to go back to the levels we were previously. Uh, I think you'll see, and we are seeing a huge rise in, in things like subscription models, uh, pet food subscription, toilet roll subscription, um, food, alcohol, regular deliveries, weekly deliveries online. And then instead of going for a big shop in the supermarket, they're, they're using their local retailer. So I think the high, hopefully I think the high street will make a comeback. Uh, I certainly hope so. Um, as more people work from home, you'll see uh, trends there. I don't, I'm encouraged, please, we're always a pretty flexible business when it came to working hours. Um, but, and that's going to accelerate as well. We, we don't expect our people to come back to work anytime soon. Uh, and if they do, we haven't missed a beat. Our productivity levels have, have actually increased. So we won't be insisting on people working from desks. You know, they can, we're all about a work-life balance. We haven't seen any degradation of service since, since COVID. And, you know, we've got a great culture. So we expect continue that. We'll give people flexible working hours. Um, so yeah, look, there's a, there's a lot changing, um, not only uh, in the last mile logistics, obviously, but socially as well. Absolutely. A couple of quick fire questions I like to always ask our, our guests. Um, one, uh, of, the, of the people that you're bringing in, obviously you've experienced enormous growth. What are the sort of characteristics that you're, this is a bit personal because I'm a headhunter as you know, and I'm interested to know yeah. just what sort of things are you looking for, characteristics and capabilities of people coming into the business? Maybe two or three things that you look for? Yeah, look, personally, I always look for, uh, you know, passion, positivity, and, and uh, authenticity as well. I, mean, I think those three things, I mean, you, if they're sitting in front of you, Ken, they've obviously presented a CV. They've obviously got the qualifications that um, that have got them to that point. So then, after that, to me, it's it's will they will they fit the culture of our business? Are they a positive person, passionate, and most of all, uh, integrity is is, uh, is a very key thing for me. And you know, you don't always get it right, but um, you know, they're, they're the sort of key traits that I'd be looking for. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. And then the final question, really, as a business leader uh, in a very dynamic environment, in a dynamic sector in the, in the logistics and supply chain sector, what would be two or three tips that you would have for up and coming leaders in the industry 
uh, moving forward? What should be top of mind? What should people be thinking about to, to lead businesses forward and lead their teams forward? Well, actually, I should have mentioned earlier, actually, one thing that out of COVID that I personally really noticed is the improvement in communication. So we, and I know other companies have done this for a long time, but we, we always thought we were good at communicating, but now we, we communicate every day. We've got a daily huddle. Uh, obviously, it's through Zoom. Um, but we have got a daily management huddle, 15 minutes every day. During COVID, we were sending messages out to all staff every day. We were having weekly meetings with the franchisees. We had monthly meetings with the rep groups. So communication, I mean, that, and people really, really appreciated that. We got so much feedback that how much they appreciated what was going on. And we were just telling them honestly what was going on. So I, I think communication to your team uh, is vital. And the other thing that we, I learned as well was how many leaders stepped up within our organization um, during COVID. People who, you know, we didn't do, know too much about and all of a sudden they're taking leadership roles you know, uh, working weekends, working night and day, just for no, these are for no extra money initially, Ken. Obviously, we've, we've, we've rewarded these people with various uh, measures, but that's not why they did it. You know, they did it to, just to get things done. So um, I, I, that's not advice to anyone else. That's just actually telling what, what actually happened. So, yeah, definitely communication would be one thing I would... Um, Highly recommend and honesty as well, good or bad, whatever was happening, we, we just told people it fairly, you know. Tell it like it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, Mark, really appreciate you sharing your insights and telling us a little bit about your business. It's been meteoric growth, um, very interesting situation going on there in Australia in last mile. So thanks for sharing it today and uh, taking time to talk to us, to our audience. I'm sure they appreciate uh, everything you've, uh, you've given us in terms of insight. Um, thank you again. We wish you well uh, and really appreciate uh, what you're doing for us here. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me and uh, stay safe. Okay. Yeah. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you for joining us, taking the time, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. Thanks, Kim.